Let me add my welcome to the one you are receiving right now. Say that I'm Ben and I'm one of the pastors. If Mona sits down before you, you lose. There it is. Uh, well, it's great to be together worshiping. My name is Ben. If I haven't had the chance to meet you, uh, I hope I do at some point and just delighted to be here worshiping with you. Well, let's take a beat. Let's take a moment and take a breath. Let's gather ourselves and our scattered senses before we turn our attention to God's word. So let's take a moment and I'll pray for us. Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you for your love for us and your mercy and steadfast love which endures forever. Thank you for your compassion. Uh, You love us like a good parent loves a child, only that that's a pale shadow of your capacity to love unconditionally. And one of the ways that you love us is you give us words of guidance. You don't throw us out into the broken world uh, and say, learn to swim. (laughs) You give us words to direct our hearts and our ways and our life. And you call us to have ears to listen. And so um, we pray for your help to focus on you. And to hear uh, what you might be saying to us this morning. And so speak, Lord. Your children are listening. We give you praise and thanks in Christ's name. Amen. All right. Continuing a series in the book of Colossians. We find ourselves in Colossians chapter 3. I'll be reading verses 20 through 21 this morning. So Colossians 3, 20 and 21. This is God's word. Children, obey your parents in everything. For this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So we've been in this section of Scripture for a while now, and Paul's been talking about the various seasons of our lives, our most precious relationships. And he's been asking us to imagine what they would all be like if Jesus was at the center of it all, directing them, forming them, shaping them. If Jesus was Lord of those relationships, and we've been saying that the Lordship of Jesus is actually the central point of this passage, six times in as many verses, the word Lord is used. So Jesus is placing himself at the center, the very heart of our most important relationships, Christ at the center of the single experience, Christ at the center of marriage, Christ at the center of our homes, Christ at the center of the relationship that exists between a parent and a child. 
And as we've been doing before getting into the text, I want to recognize the broad category of people that are here this morning. We have kids that are with us. We have teens here. We have tweens here. We have kids that live with their birth parents. We have kids who live with their adoptive parents or foster family. We have folks in a sandwich generation. They are caring for their somewhat adult children and also caring for their aging parents. Many kids caring for their parents. We have parents with young children, parents with adult children. We have unconnected kids potentially with us. No parents. We have children who have lost their parents. We have parents who have lost their children. We have folks who would love to be a parent. People with absentee parents, parents with absentee children, folks dealing with estrangement in any number of directions. So let's just recognize that that's in the room and that the Lord holds us all in our particular context. And let me just say that I wish I could preach a sermon on every one of those issues But I can't do that. We can only take one thing at a time. And so this morning, uh, I'll focus on what I think Paul's focus on, the focus is on in this text, which is parents with kids still in the home, hoping that there is something here for us all. God gives abundant grace to children Through the instruction of their parents. God gives abundant grace to parents through the instruction they receive from their Heavenly Father. And that's where we're going this morning. First, God gives abundant grace to children. Children, say hi. Children, hi. It's good to see you today. The Lord directs you. Let's do that one more time. Children, that's still weak sauce, but we're just going to go along. The the Lord is going to direct you. uh, He's going to direct his attention to you today, and he loves you very, very much. So I'm going to try to find you out there and look at you while I'm talking. Will, it's good to see you. Okay, very good. The first, yes, you too. The first word of our passage is children. The apostle writing his letter directs it to children and he says, children, and they might have said, yes. We take, we take for granted in our culture that children are valuable and are to be treasured. Life for children in the Roman Empire was hard. Children were viewed more as a commodity. They were not treasured. They were not dressed up as flowers and then had their pictures up on the wall. 
This is how Seneca, a Roman historian, described the culture's view of children. He says, we slaughter a a fierce ox, we strangle a mad dog, we plunge a knife into a sick cow, children born weak or deformed, we drown. Just life in the Roman world. And one of the things that distinguished the church was its consistent pro-life ethic and its love of children. Even the phrase raising a child, it comes from the Roman house where a child would be presented to the father. And if he wanted the child, he would literally pick it up and raise it up. And if he didn't, he would pass it off to a servant where they would take it outside where it would be exposed and either die or be taken and raised to a life of slavery until the church who would go seeking for those children to raise them up as sons and daughters of the eternal king of heaven. So we take for granted that children are seen as precious, valuable, worthy of protection, and you are, kids. And it is precisely the leaven and influence of the Christian community over thousands of years that leaves us with the idea that children are to be cherished and that their lives deeply matter to God. And those ideas in that leaven come from passages like this. So imagine that you're sitting there, it's a first century Roman table, and you hear the apostle say, child, children, God is speaking to you, reorienting that moment to where that child is and who they are before God. Think about what that does to all the adults' hearts in the room. God's now speaking to the kids. Think about what that does to the heart of a child who has never felt seen or cherished. I think it would have felt like that scene in the gospel where the, uh, the adults thought that Jesus was too important and, and too busy to be bothered with kids, but Jesus rebukes the adults. And he, he comes down from his high place and he welcomes the children winsomely, safely, protecting them, guarding them, upholding their dignity. Children, what a wonderful thing to say. And it's not just that he welcomes children, it's that he treats them as disciples. The apostle is directing them with words from the Lord, instructions. The assumption is that these children have an active relationship with God. He's not talking to the parents about the children. He's speaking directly to them. The kids are being treated like every other disciple in the room. And notice the motivation for the instruction. It's children, do your part, not because it will please your mom or dad, but because it will please the Lord. The God of the universe is directly asking children to live their lives for him. 
God doesn't just welcome children. He pursues them because he desires to use them. Maybe we think that someone has to be a certain age before God can move in them mightily or use them mightily. Oh, no. One of the most wonderful and sacred exercises that I had this week was just meditating on how often God uses the young, how he calls teenagers and children to himself and uses them mightily. Exhibit A, the 12 disciples. When we think of the disciples, we think of the 40-year-old guy you saw in the Passion Play with the beard. I promise you they were not that old. The Zebedee boys were still with their father, which means they were likely 16, 17 years old. They would have likely been married off by 18 for sure. Think about the 12 to 17, 18, 19-year-olds, those who were, Jesus looked at them and said, you, follow me. And he used them to change the world. Think about Mary. Unwed teenage mother, likely 13, 14 years old. 13 years old. Chosen by God. Favored by God. To carry divine life into the world. And kids? Yes, You don't have to be a teenager. You don't even have to be a teen. I think about the feeding of the 5,000. There are 5,000 hungry adults in the wilderness. And guess who God chooses to use to feed them? It was one little boy in the crowd with his lunch pail. Some little bit of seafood, a little bit of bread. And God takes that little bit and multiplies it. And makes that kid a part of his redemptive plan that we're talking about to this very day. May I say that if you're adopted or fostered, can I just tell you that there are heroes in the Bible that have a story just like yours? Samuel was given and he was raised by Eli at a very early age. And guess what? God starts to speak to him. He's like 12 years old. He doesn't even know it's the voice of God. But God is shaping him to be a prophet who will raise up kings and shape kingdoms. The presumption is that you have to be a certain age before you're in a relationship with the Lord. What I want to say, kids, is God wants to speak to you. Do you know that you're a disciple of his He wants to use you. You don't have to wait to be mightily used by you. He is directly speaking to you this morning. And he has a destiny for you that's bigger than you getting more headshots in Fortnite. God has a destiny for you that's bigger than your sports teams. It's bigger than the college that you'll get into. It's bigger than your broken heart. He has a destiny for you that includes his kingdom. 
You are a priestess in the kingdom of God. Will, you are a priest in the kingdom of God. And you know, one of the primary ways that God is going to shape your hearts and get into your life, it's through the instruction of your parents. That's why he says, obey. It says obey because it pleases him. Why does he please him? Why does it please God that you obey your parents? It's because he cares about you. He wants you to be instructed. And God's design has always been that honor and obedience to parents teaches us how to live well and wisely in the world. There's like a billion verses about that in the Bible. And so the role of parents is meant to be one of protection, correction, providing wisdom, instruction in the Lord. The point is, kiddos, that you aren't meant to do life alone. God didn't just throw you to the wolves. He didn't just throw you into the ocean of a chaotic world and say, swim. He gave you parents. You were meant to be born into a community of people committed to you, who sacrificed their own selves, times, and dreams, and everything else so that you could be mentored, directed, loved. That's why it says, obey. A direction that is simple to understand, but hard to do. Am I right? Amen. And the older you get, the harder it gets to obey. So if you're 17 right now, if you're 21, if you're 13, it's getting harder because your parents are giving you direction and you're beginning to think that they don't know what they're talking about. And you know what? In some ways, you are absolutely right. The secret is now out. You are old enough to understand that your mom and dad are adults that care about you, but they are just human beings trying to make it in a big and broken world. And your first response when you start to realize that is going to be arrogance. I don't need you. What do you know? They don't know what they're talking about. As if you do. <laughs> now we're going to talk about parents and how they botch it up. But can we say that you botch it up? Parents, parents can be wrong. They can be harsh. They can be arbitrary. They can be strange. But not everything that they do is wrong. It can help in some moments to remember that your parent or the one caring for you in a parental way is probably at least 18 years older than you, 15 years older than you, 18 years older than you, maybe 30 years older than you are. And they may not know everything, but that means they know some stuff. They've been around. Maybe your parent knows what it's like to have a broken heart. Maybe your parent remembers peer pressure and what that's like. Maybe they know the emptiness of a drunken one-night stand. Some of us know that in the room. Some of them have made really bad mistakes and learned from it. 
Some of them know what it's like to wrestle with unbelief and to make it through those moments. They know some stuff. And they love you. And they have your best interests in mind. So I, can, I know it can be super hard to obey and it can feel like you're losing yourself and your identity when you entrust yourself to someone else and obey instead of doing exactly what you want to do all the time. But it's like what Stephanie said. Jesus understood that too. Understood what it looked like to obey the Lord even when it was hard. And what did that obedience release in his life and into the world? Goodness. Forgiveness. Love. And the promise of the scriptures is if you listen and obey the wisdom of your parents, the good stuff that they have to offer, even when it's hard, that that, the blessing of God will be released in your life as well. Children, obey your parents. It's pleasing to the Lord. And then it says, parents, you're not off the hook. Actually, it says, fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Now let's just ask the question, why fathers? Well, we've kind of already answered that in past weeks, haven't we? It's because the father at that time was the authority figure. He was the one with the power to discipline. And Paul has been very concerned about the misuse of power, hasn't he, in these passages? He's been training us and challenging us to think about power in a totally different way. And so he's doing that here. It would have been shocking for the father to have the children addressed by someone else. It would have been equally shocking to hear a correction to yourself. So it's not fathers rule your children. It's not fathers discipline your children. It's fathers, check yourself before you wreck yourself. Don't provoke your children, which just means to frustrate them, to embitter them. Ephesians says to exasperate them. Don't annoy them. Don't irritate them, lest they become discouraged. It's a recognition that parents often mess up. We miss the mark, and the mark is encouragement. To put courage into a child. Not to send them into the world weaker or more timid or angry or frustrated or insecure, but to send them into the world secure, loved, strong, Equipped. Fact is, being a kid is hard. Amen? Yeah. And frustrating. You're trying to learn new things. You're messing up along the way. Everybody has different rules. Your classroom has rules. Your school has room rules. Your church has rules. There's rules everywhere. And besides that, you're still developing. Your brain doesn't work right yet. You don't even know how the world works. And so it says, be patient with your children. Be gentle with them. 
Set your kids up for a win. Show grace to those under your care. Don't set up unrealistic standards that they can never reach and then punish them when they fail, making them feel like they're not enough. How many scars are we all processing that started when we were kids? Remember that when you're being a parent to your children. Just a few of the ways that we can annoy our children. We can provoke our children when we set up arbitrary rules. Rules that have nothing to do with being a loving or well-developed human being. They have, they have everything to do with your kids becoming more like you. Watch out because you love soccer, they're supposed to love soccer. Watch out because you vote Democrat, they're supposed to vote that way. Watch out because you file everything neat and nice in your room, in your drawers that they're supposed to. Or you don't, your desk is all messy and you don't like it that they're so organized. You think something's wrong with them. None of those things have anything to do with sin. They all have to do with temperament. You don't punish your kids for having a different temperament. We can be arbitrary with our rules. We can be arbitrary with our discipline. You're always moving the goalposts. One week they do one thing and they get one response from you, which is like grace and and goodness, and it's okay. And the next week they do the exact same thing and they're grounded for a week. It's enough to provoke a child to anger. I once learned from my mentor that there are accidents, mistakes, special needs, and sins. Accidents, mistakes, special needs, and sins. Only one of those categories deserves punishment. There are accidents. It's like you spill the milk, you knock over the milk. It's not a child standing there with the milk, double dog daring you. Don't spill the milk. And then they spill. That's sin. But if they just spill the milk, that's just an accident. A a four-year-old can do that and a 42-year-old can do that. It's just that we can't expect a fourth grader to do 11th grade math. It's just unreasonable to do that. Have you ever experienced someone expecting something of you that you don't, you're not equipped to do that yet? It's just the downside to being an adult. The upside of being 30 years older is that you have hopefully gained some wisdom and some sanity. The downside of being that much older is that you forget how long it's taken you to learn everything or anything that you've learned. And so you expect a 14-year-old to know what a 42-year-old knows. When you didn't learn that until last week. And so as parents, we think that it should be done because we said it. Therefore, it should be done. And we forget that it was never that way with us. How many boneheaded choices have we made to become who we are today? 
And we don't expect it to be the same with our kids. We can be arbitrary with our rules. We can be arbitrary with our discipline. We can simply have crazy standards. The kids have to be involved in everything. No margin to breathe. Sport after sport after sport after sport after activity after activity after activity. No time to be bored. No time to figure out what they actually like because you're living your life vicariously through them. And so they not only have to be involved, but they have to be good, great, the best. The boy who misses the winning free throw shot. He had two. He misses the first one. He gets the second one and wins the game. He comes running to dad and says, dad, we won the game. And the dad says, yeah, but you missed the first one. The kid who comes in third in cross country. And the father who says, yeah, but you didn't come in first. We can simply be ridiculous with our standards. And then, of course, we can just be too harsh with our speech, raising our voice, screaming, yelling. We can over-discipline. We can be too harsh physically, grabbing a child by the arm or worse. And what I want to say is in a day when there wasn't any child protective services, understanding what's going on in this moment when the apostle says, do not be harsh, do not provoke with your children. Let's just say that children in this moment are being defended. And so can I say a few words to us? If you are a child and you are in this room and you are being mistreated at home right now, oh dear children, dear dear child listening to me, if your mom and your dad are hitting you, if they are tearing you down every chance that they get, they are way out of line. You don't deserve it. And you can come and find me You can talk to your Sunday school teacher. You can find someone and seek help. It will defend you. And so children are defended from bad parenting. Kids, there's good news. God wants to defend you from bad parenting. And parents, there's good news for you too because here's there's a chance for you to grow in terms of our impatience our anger a legalistic spirit that emphasizes rules over relationships making sons and daughters fear for their security of their place in our hearts or in God's family What a heavy burden to have, to feel like you have to earn your place in a family, to earn love. Aren't you glad that our Heavenly Father doesn't treat us like that? A parent's duty is in effect to live out the gospel to a child, 
to assure a child that they are loved and accepted and valued for who they are, not who they ought to be, should have been, or might have become had they tried harder. Another way to say this is that obedience must never be made a condition of parental love. A love so conditioned isn't love. When a parent is obedient to the vocation of genuine love, a, parent, a, a child's obedience becomes like that of a Christian to God. A glad and loving response. And so... I'm bringing it to a close with some application points for kids and parents. Kids, say yes. Thank you. I want you to leave considering the love of God who wants to have a relationship with you, who is pursuing a relationship with you even now because you have a role to play in our community and you have a role to play in his kingdom. And kids, if your parents are not discipling you, if they are not praying for you, if they don't talk to you about Jesus or God, you need to ask them for discipleship. You need to ask them for prayer. And kids, I want you to leave thinking about a God who would defend you from bad parenting. He understands that parents don't always get it right. And he's saying that you have a court of appeals. There's a a psalm that some of us cling to. Psalm uh, 27 verse 10. And what it says is this. My father and my mother may forsake me, but the Lord will take me in. What a precious promise. And finally, kiddos, I want you to be grateful for your parents because most of you have good ones. I know them. They're not Jesus. I've gotten to know them. They're not Jesus. But they're good and they love you and they care for you and they work hard for you and you should be thankful for them. Parents, a word to you. I think the Lord would have us learn the humility and power of forgiveness Parenting can be hard. It can be exhausting. And parents aren't the only ones that are provoked to anger. Our children can provoke us to frustration and anger. The question is, when that happens, what are we going to do with it? When we mess up, what are we going to do? And we have to remember that the best parents aren't the ones who never make mistakes or the ones who cover their mistakes. The best parents are the ones who ask for forgiveness from their mistakes. There's a lot at stake. Kids are incredibly forgiving, but make it easy for them to forgive with the three most powerful words. I am sorry. If you want to have moral legitimacy with your kids, you need to regularly ask for forgiveness when you get it wrong. Often becoming a parent will stir up stuff about our own childhoods, stuff that needs to be processed, forgiven, and worked out. No one gets out of life with having 
without having to forgive your parents. That's just a part of the deal. But you get to ask for forgiveness. You also get to offer forgiveness. You get to offer forgiveness from your kid. Some of our kids have hurt us bad. Some of us are estranged from our children's. Children, you know that you can break your parents' heart. It starts when a teenager stops saying, I love you back. You say, I love you. And they say, thanks. It happens overnight. You add intimacy. They thought you were cool. They gave you the gift of friendship. And now they think you are so lame. Don't make that about you. That has nothing to do with you. That has everything to do with a human being a human at that age. So you can be frustrated and you can grieve the loss of relationship for a time, but know that that's not unique to you. You get to remain the imperfect, earnest follower, adult, adult follower of Jesus that you are. And you get to love your kids until they come back in friendship to you. And sometimes they don't. Sometimes you get to love an other than Christian person right in your home. Because if statistics hold, only 8% of our kids will still believe in Jesus when they're in college. 8%. Which kids... It is your job to change that statistic and your parents. But it does mean that many of us will have the opportunity to love an other than Christian person and they're just right in our home with us. And we get to draw them back to the Lord through our love, our forgiveness, our grace. Sometimes our child will wish that we were dead and they will want their inheritance early And they will run. And that will certainly break your heart. And some of us might even have to set up boundaries in the home because it's not safe to be around our own kids. But even in those situations, we think about the prodigal son and the father on the porch every day waiting for a son to come back. And him running the first time he sees the son to offer forgiveness. Amen? Kids, obey your parents. Parents, don't be lame. (laughs) It's the Bedlow's translation. Let me pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your grace, your goodness, your love, and your care for us. You care about our families. You care about relationships between parents and kids. You look at kids and you say, you matter, you're valuable to me. You're a priestess and a priest in the kingdom of God. You look at parents and say, you matter to me. And you have an opportunity to grow as you parent as well. I pray for all the healing that needs to happen in this room. Lord, you talk about the... the, the, the the reign of the Messiah being one when you turn the hearts of children to their parents and parents to their children. And I know a lot of that needs to happen. 
but it's a big part of your ministry. So would you help us with that? And for each longing of our heart, would you meet us where we are and give us the grace we need to become the beloved community you're calling us to be? We give you praise and thanks in Christ's name. Amen.